please take your seats. I bring greetings to you from our senior minister, Colin Dye. Um, he's in North Africa again. Amen. Pioneering the work, visiting the persecuted believers and using the apostolic anointing that God has given in him to go in the places of most need. And as Dudley mentioned earlier, he will be back. Well, he'll be back for Wednesday evening for the counseling course, but also he will be ministering next Sunday morning, and uh, he'll be able to share with us as a congregation a little bit more in detail about what he's been doing um, in these North African nations over the last two weeks. So we look forward to that. I wonder if the stewards could make avail available the ready-to-lead encounters. I want to talk to you if you're a cell leader or thinking about being a cell leader because I am leading an encounter on Friday the 6th to 8th of July, ready to lead. And this encounter is for men and women, those that are leading cells, those that are thinking about leading cells. And this is about how to get a breakthrough in your leadership ministry. You know, the devil is a liar, and he seeks to contain that which God wants to do with our lives. And when you step out into leadership, the devil resists you even more because you become a threat to him. And so what can happen is when you're trying to start your cell group, or maybe you've had a cell group for a while, there can sometimes be like a ceiling that you begin to hit against. You just can't seem to get your cell breakthrough. You just can't seem to get your leadership breakthrough. And what can happen is, after hitting that ceiling again and again and again, you can weary and you can just begin to allow that ceiling to remain. Well, on that ready-to-lead encounter, we're going to look at faith, aggressive faith, spiritual warfare, how to use the Word of God as a leader, as a weapon. We're going to smash these things that seek to keep us hemmed in and contained. We're going to show you how to grow your cell, to start your cell, and, and to get a breakthrough in your personal life as a leader and in your cell ministry. Men and for women, it's a mixed encounter. Um, so this could be the encounter for you this year. Or maybe you're a cell leader and you have cell leaders under you, and you see where some of them are struggling. And they need that breakthrough in leadership and ministry, this is the one to get them on. So we're just mentioning that to give you time to prepare for that. Well, it's wonderful to be with you on uh, Sunday mornings. Very, most often, myself and Robert Sledden are uh, pioneering and pushing forward the Sunday evening revival service. And we're looking forward to Robert's being with us again at the 7 o'clock. And I will be, as you've heard, doing the Sermon on the Mount teaching series at the 5 o'clock. But if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you please to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12. Hebrews 12, verse 12. And a welcome to all of those that are joining us on the internet and also over there at the Coronet Cinema. And may I add my congratulations to all the fathers in the house, including myself. And I'm looking forward to getting my screwdriver. Um, I'm sure my son Jake will know exactly what to do with it. So um, that's all that's all great fun. I'm going to read a larger portion of Scripture than perhaps we might normally read. So please don't switch off during the public reading of Scripture because the public reading of Scripture is a very powerful spiritual thing. Because when you publicly read Scripture, it's not just 
uh, to give you information, but it's proclamation. Not just proclamation to your lives, but the public reading of Scripture is a proclamation to the spiritual powers of this age. So uh, let's read with faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without, no, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many people become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and, the burn, and, that, and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, And now he is promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not only earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. This letter to the Hebrews is a powerful letter because the situation that the Hebrews found themselves in, they were predominantly a Jewish congregation who had become Christians and embraced the new covenant of Christ. But the Hebrews were under pressure. They were under persecution. And uh, things that they were facing in life, the issues of daily life, seemed to be overwhelming them. And many of them were thinking, you know, is following Jesus worth it? Because they were experiencing persecution from those that were nearest and dearest. I mean, when they began to follow Christ, many of them had been put out of the, temple, uh, out of the synagogues. 
Uh, some of them that were businessmen were finding that the business community that they had was turning against them because they were following Jesus and seen as apostate Jews. And so they were thinking, you know, in the old days, when we were Jews not following Jesus, when we were under the law and the old covenant, everything seemed so much easier. Business was good. We weren't rejected from our families. We could join the community of the synagogue. But since we've began to follow this Jesus, all hell has broken loose. And we're wondering whether it's worth continuing in the faith. Why not go for an easy life? Go back to the old ways. Go back to the old covenant. Go back to the old things and, and have a little bit of peace and quiet on earth. And the author of the Hebrews, which was either Paul or one of his disciples, is encouraging them but also warning them. He is encouraging them not to give up the faith but to pursue the faith even stronger than they were. And he was warning them of the consequences of falling or going backwards in their faith. And, um, and the author was saying that, you know, no matter what you're facing in daily life and how real and permanent and immediate the difficulties seem, your faith is more precious than anything that you face. Your faith is more permanent than any trial or circumstance that you face. Because your faith cannot be destroyed. God is real. Circumstances are temporary and passing. And the author of Hebrews was saying, look, don't be like the Moses generation. And in, uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, it talks about the Moses generation who refused to believe God refused to trust his promises. God had given the Moses generation some amazing promise. In fact, he'd give them a whole land of promises. And he was saying to the children of Israel, I'm going to redeem you from Egypt. And all I'm asking is that you believe my promise that I have a land flowing in milk and honey for you. And just trust me. And walk with me and believe me when I say, I'll not leave you and forsake you. And you will enter into the promised land. And you will take by faith this land that I've promised you. But in the wilderness, we see that the children of Israel did not trust God. They did not have faith in God. On the contrary, their heart was hardened with unbelief. And they grumbled in the wilderness. I mean, as soon as God brought them out of Egypt and they came to the uh, Red Sea, they started saying, well, it's over. Look, the chariots of Moses are pursuing us hotly. We can't get over this uh, sea. It's impossible. And they doubted that God was with them. And God delivered them through the Red Sea. But when they got to the other side, they started grumbling and complaining and unbelieving again. They're saying, look, God has taken out of Egypt to kill us. Here we are in the wilderness and none of us have anything to eat. What sort of God are you? And God provided them with manna. And they said, we didn't have any water. And he took them to the waters of Mara. And they thought, yes, at last, this is so wonderful. And they tasted the water and it was bitter. What sort of sick God are you? Not just to give us no water, but to take us to a place which seemed to promise so much, but tasted so bitter. And God cleansed 
the water. And again and again, every time they faced a physical problem or a physical circumstance or a, or a physical uh, mountain that needed to be re- removed, they gave up on God, they grumbled against God, they were unbelieving. And uh, the author of Hebrews says, don't be like them. The author of Hebrew takes them to, in Hebrews chapter 11, you may well know that chapter. If not, you might just want to flick there and have a look. The Hebrews chapter 11 is called Faith's Hall of Fame. And starting with Abel and going right through the Bible, we see examples of men and women who believed God. And the picture is that these men and women of Hebrews 11, they believed God. God. They believed his promises. And no matter what they faced, no matter what earthly trial or earthly opposition that the men and women of Hebrews 11 faced, they did not doubt God. In fact, they dealt with their earthly problems by faith in God. And there is an example for the Hebrews. And then what we've just read, we begin in verse, tw- in verse 12. We saw strengthening the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Just think of that picture of someone whose hands and arms are hanging down. The knees are feeble. This is somebody who's in weakness. This is somebody that's defeated. This is somebody that is unable to cope with the problems and trials and circumstances that assail them. And the author of Hebrews says, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble needs. Verse 15, we read, looking careful lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up. This root of bitterness is what the author was speaking about earlier. It's unbelief. It's not trusting God, but instead putting your trust in earthly solutions, earthly provisions, earthly deliverances. If you put your trust in the powers of this present earth, then you will eventually have a root of bitterness spring up in your life. Because unbelief is the enemy of God and the enemy of faith. And then in verse 16, we have an example of somebody that's like this. An example of a man called Esau who cared more about the things of the earth than he did the things of God. And you know the story. Esau comes in and finds his brother Jacob. And Esau is absolutely ravenous. He's starving. And he says to Jacob, brother Give me that food that you've made. And Jacob says, if you give me your inheritance, if you give me your inheritance, then you can have this morsel of food. And in the end, we know the story, don't we? That Esau says, oh, what's my inheritance to me anyway? All that matters is that my present physical need is satisfied and satisfied now. He couldn't see beyond his physical need. He didn't look to God to meet him at that place. He wasn't thinking spiritually. He was thinking from the stomach. He was thinking from the carnal passions. He was not thinking from the spiritual way. And he ate it. 
He swapped his spiritual inheritance for a bowl of lentils. In verse 17, we see that he lived to regret that. And afterwards, he came and said, Oh, please, can I have the blessing to his father? Please, can I have the blessing back? But it was too late. You see, he's an example to us today and an example to the Hebrew church. The children of Israel were an example to us today and an example to the Hebrew church. The faith hall of fame in Hebrews 11, every man and every woman and, uh, in that faith is, is a picture and an encouragement to us today. And then after this, we see pictures. And the author says, there are two mountains. There is one mountain, Mount Sinai, and there is another mountain, a spiritual mountain, called Mount Zion. And the author says to us, look, you have not come to the mountain of Zion. There in verse 18, he says, you've not come to the mountain. And he describes this mountain. And this mountain is Mount Sinai, not Mount Zion. This mountain is Mount Sinai. And the picture is of these unbelieving children of Israel finding themselves at Mount Sinai, the place where God gave Moses the law. And you know what? It's not a very nice place. I mean, if you look at the description, it was the mountain that burnt with fire. There was blackness and gloom and darkness and tempest. There was a sound of a trumpet. And God spoke in such a manner that nobody ever wanted him to speak again. They couldn't endure what was commanded in verse 20. And uh, even if a beast touched the mountain, it was immediately put to death. It was so terrifying in verse 21 that even Moses, the friend of God, even Moses was absolutely terrified and afraid. Have you ever been afraid? I mean, have you really ever been terrified or afraid? Maybe you got some news from the doctor that terrified or, or, or made you afraid. Maybe you were walking down an alley late at night and some gruesome people turned up and fear came into your heart. Fear, terror can come in many forms. But the fear and terror that was felt at this mountain, well, a uh, Moses was shaking in his boots. What is this mountain a picture of? Well, this mountain was a physical mountain. It's a picture of living in the physical world because we see it says you have not come to the mountain in verse 18 that may be touched it was a physical group of people the Israelites who went on a physical journey to a physical mountain where they saw physical cloud physical darkness with physical fear and a physical voice came out from the mountain that they didn't want to hear. This is a picture of man in the physical world under the judgment of God. Judgment's not a very popular word in the Western church today. And that's partly why the Western church is so backslidden. The judgment of God. Why did the law come with judgment at this point in history? Well, we've already talked about it, haven't we? We said the children of Israel refused to live spiritually. 
They refused to believe in the living God. They refused to believe God's promises for them. When they sent the spies into the promised land, they believed the report of the unbelieving spies. The unbelieving spies returned and said, there is no way we can drive these people out. We are grasshoppers. They are giants. We cannot deal with these obstacles. And two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, wait a second. I think you've forgotten about the promise. I think you've forgotten about the fact that God is alive, is not dead. But true to form, the children of Israel believed the lies of the, of the spies and believed that God could not come through for them. They were earthbound. So the law came in order to deal with the rebellious children of Israel. It came in because they refused to live by faith. For 430 years before this, the descendants of Abraham had lived law-free. They didn't know the Ten Commandments. They didn't need the Ten Commandments. Abraham couldn't give you one Ten Commandment. Jacob couldn't give you one Ten Commandment. Isaac couldn't give you one Ten Commandment. If you, if, you, if you spoke to Joseph, he wouldn't have a clue what the Ten Commandments were. They just simply walked hand in hand with their Father in heaven and believed the promises he gave to them for life. But this generation, the wilderness generation, refused to believe in the invisible God that he could meet their needs and do what he promised to do. And so God said, right. Well, there's only one way to deal with you. If you refuse to believe in me, I'm going to send you a law to sort you out. And the law came in like a teacher to a naughty class. You know, you can have these classes that are just out of control at school. And none of the teachers can handle the classes because the class is in rebellion. And so what they do is they can send in one of these super teachers who specializes in dealing with rebellious classes. And that super teacher comes in and says, right, you don't like me and I don't like you. But that we're not running this classroom on who likes who or out of relationship. We're going to run this class by rules. And I've determined what the rules are. And then he gives the class a list of rules and a list of punishments that will come if those rules are break, broken. And some uh, jumped up. Pupil at the front laughs and makes fun of the teacher as he has other teachers. And the teacher turns around and says, detention, five days. Somebody else sniggers and the teacher says, I'm going to take you to the headmaster's office. I was going to say and get caned. But um, I think we've moved on from there, have we? You're going to get caned. Soon, the threat of punishment brings that unruly class into line externally. Not because they're a good class, but because they fear punishment. And someone could walk into that class and go, wow, what a well-ordered class. Everybody's sitting there. Not even moving. What a great class. But we know it was the teacher, the law, and the punishment that brought them into line. That is the almost perfect illustration of why the law came. The law came, and it was only a temporary measure till Jesus came. The law came to reveal sin in all its horror and to externally restrain sin. 
It couldn't save you from sin. It was a temporary measure. And so this picture of Mount Sinai is the place of judgment. It's the place of threat of punishment. And the whole world is at this place right now because the law of God shuts up everybody under sin. No matter who you are, no matter where you are from, you are without Christ at this mountain of gloom, destruction. This is God's judgment on the physical world. But then the author says, but hey, you that have come to Christ, this isn't the place where you live in despair. You come to a different mountain. And this home of yours is not physical. It's spiritual. Here, look at the description. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Look at that phrase in your Bibles, verse 22. The city of the living God. That phrase or title for God, the living God, is one of the most powerful titles of God that you can find in the Bible. In fact, whenever you read the living God, it is telling you something very powerful. For example, the problem with the children of Israel was that they didn't believe in the living God. Whenever they faced their trial, they thought God wasn't there, God wasn't real, God wasn't in control. They were totally overwhelmed and defeated by their physical circumstances and the trials that they faced. And they just thought, well, God's not here because they weren't walking with God. Another picture of the living God was, do you remember Goliath, that great big physical giant of a man? And how every morning he would come out and defy the armies of Israel. And not one of the armies of Israel, not even their king Saul, had enough faith to go out and deal with Goliath. Why? Why didn't they just go out and defeat Goliath? Well, because they didn't believe in God. They didn't actually have faith that God would deliver Goliath into their hands. They didn't believe in the living God. But there was a young shepherd boy who did. And he said, what's going on here? As he saw this great physical giant of a man called Goliath defy Israel. And he said, what's going on? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the... You got it. He knew that God was alive. And he faced his circumstances by faith in the living God. Do you remember Peter, when he had the revelation from the Father about who Jesus was? And Jesus was saying, who do men say I am? And some said he was a prophet, and some said he was a teacher, and some said he was Elijah, and some said he was John the Baptist, come back to life. And he says, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's a lot of people in this nation, the vast majority of people believe in God, but very few, a minority, and I include the church amongst that, those in the church, a minority, believe in the living God. And here the author of Hebrews says that you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. It's so alive. And look at the picture of this real place. 
It's swarming with a numerable company of ministering, delivering angels. It's the place of the assembly of the church. This is the home of the church. Not a physical mountain, but a spiritual mountain, a heavenly mountain. It is the church of the firstborn. What does the firstborn mean? Well, that's what Esau was. He was the firstborn, and that meant that Esau was meant to have the double portion. He was meant to have the inheritance. But we know he swapped his spiritual inheritance for physical food. And so here we see the church of the firstborn, who are the inheritors of the double blessing of God. How many know that if you are part of the firstborn church, God's blessing is upon you? God is with you. There's a double portion of his spirit that he wants to give to you. And uh, this is a place where Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood that saves, that redeems, that cleanses, that speaks better things than that of Abel. So what a contrast. And the author is trying to make this contrast because he's speaking to Jewish Christians that are thinking to going back to the old life at the foot of Mount Sinai, a life of condemnation, a life of darkness and despair in the physical world. But God is saying that you are a citizen, not a citizen of Great Britain first or whatever country you may come from, but you are a heavenly citizen. Your passport comes from the Mount Zion and the city of living God and heavenly Jerusalem. In our city, in our nation, the nation of the living God, there aren't just humans there. There's angels there. And earlier on in Hebrews, the author says that angels are amongst us to minister to the saints, delivering power, strengthening power. Oh, thank God, angels are on our side. The Holy Spirit is on our side. We live in a spiritual atmosphere where the blood of Jesus is Lord. Where whatever sin is committed, will be committed, is already cleansed. We don't have the quaking fear of Moses. We have the assurance that by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, we have been delivered once and from all from the kingdom of darkness. We have been delivered from the condemnation of the law. The power of sin is broken. The power of the devil is broken. The power of a fallen world operating in our life is broken. The blood of Jesus, the most powerful commodity in the universe, bought you back from sin and redeemed you, cleansed you, and put you in a place where you can walk by faith with God. Don't refuse him who speaks to you today. Because if the voice that boomed the law from the mountain was strong. And I mean, that law came in at the nick of time. It came in at the nick of time. I mean, this unruly bunch of flesh pots who wouldn't believe God's promises. While Moses was receiving the commandment on the very mountain of God. The commandment, do not commit adultery. While he was receiving it, they were rising up to play. 
while Moses was receiving the very commandment, have no idols before you, that very moment they were worshipping a golden calf. God help us. I, I don't want to live by the law. I don't want to live by physical things, but spiritual things. And you say, well, you know, the earth seems so real, but these people were sensory dominated. They believed that the only things that were real were things that you could see, touch, taste, hear. And if, if your senses could interact with it, it was real. But if it was spiritual, it wasn't real. I mean, isn't that the same we have here with the picture of Esau? Oh, what, what use is some spiritual inheritance? Give me what's physical. Give me what's real. That's all that I need. And then we come to this place, don't we, in verse 26, where there's a shaking going on. And God's saying, look, the earth shook on that mountain of judgment, but I'm going to shake the earth again. And not only the earth, I'm going to shake the heavens with the power of the kingdom of God. Now, this, verse 7, yet more, means the removal of things that can be shaken so that things that cannot be shaken remain. Therefore, since you receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What's this talking about? It's talking about the fact that God is sending a shaking. And everything that is not of God will be smashed and ruined and destroyed. It's time to take out our investment and trust in the things of this world and put our trust and investment in the things of God's kingdom. Isn't it interesting that in the current financial crisis, a lot of it is to do with confidence, isn't it? A lot of it's to do with confidence and whether investors have confidence in certain banks or certain nations. And so everybody's trying to restore faith, if I can use that word in a worldly view. Confidence in the banking or financial system. This very day, as you know, Greece are going to the polls to an election to decide what they're going to do and how they're going to do, deal with their horrendous debt. And the Eurozone has been putting in billions of pounds to try and restore confidence. The resources of Europe, mainly Germany, put in to that country to try to restore confidence. It's saying, don't worry, you investors. Don't worry. Look, more of our resources, more of our money. Have faith. Have confidence in the bailout. That, that's what's going to bring us through. And investors are trying to decide what to have confidence in and what not to have confidence in. But God is saying that we are investors. And the decisions that we make on a daily basis, the decisions we make in our discipleship and walk with the law, you, my friend, are investing in something. And you will get a return. Either a return of blessing or the return actually might become a deficit. And so God is saying, there's a run on the banks of this world. And I'm speaking metaphorically. 
Get your money out of the banks right now. And that's what happens, isn't it, in the natural. It's like all of a sudden people panic. We saw that in the Northern Rock, didn't we? What do you mean? They lose confidence. They lose faith in the bank. And everybody piles in and starts withdrawing, 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 trying to get back everything that they have. And God is speaking to his people today and saying that he is sending a shaking And everything that can be shaken, that's not of God, is going to shake free. And so he's speaking to us spiritually, saying, get your investment out of the things and resources of this world and put all you have into God, the living God. Put it all into Jesus. Oh, the parables speak about this. Think about the man who found the buried treasure in the field, the parable of the buried treasure. What did he do? He took everything he had, all his investment in other projects, withdrew it all, bought the field and got the treasure. Think about the great pearl. And the man sold everything he had. He withdrew his investment from everything everything and put all his eggs in one basket, if I can mix my metaphors, and went out and bought that pearl. Such is the kingdom of God. It's time for us to put all the eggs of our basket into the things of God, the promises of God, to pray our way out of circumstances instead of fear, to understand That as strong as God is in our lives, so we shall stand. A shaking is is coming. A shaking is here. And it's funny because the problem is, is that people in general, and the church as well, the God's people, very soon get used to there being no shaking. And one of the warnings that God gave to the Joshua generation, the ones who believed God, and took the promised land, he gave them a warning. He said, you know what, Joshua generation, when you've tackled every circumstance, overcome every obstacle, when you've defeated every enemy by faith in me, the living God, who will give you, I will give you every foot, every step that you possess. When you've done all this, I want to warn you, because you're going to come into a place when you've inherited, where there's going to be no more giants. You're going to enjoy the milk and honey and the dew that is like rain from heaven. And at that time, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who gave you the land in the first place. Because if you forget You'll no longer live by faith in the living God. You'll say, I don't need the living God. I don't need the living God. I don't need the living healer. I've got Bupa or the national health. I don't need the Lord, my provider, because I've got stocks and shares in so-and-so. Or I've got a job. I don't, I don't need the, the Lord to be my delight because I have got delights, entertainment, 50-inch flat screens, Euro football, Olympics coming up. I have all the delights that anybody could have. I don't need the Lord to be my 
delight. And immediately what has happened? You come into a new generation that don't know the works of God of the former generation. You have a new generation that don't, know, don't even know what it is to trust in the living God. Don't need the living God. So they think. And then God sends a shaking and they have no place to go. They don't know how to handle it because they haven't been trained in the things of God. They're like the parable of the man who built his house on sand. Why? Because it was a beautiful day down at the beach. Obviously, it wasn't Great Britain. A beautiful day down at the beach. All was sunny. All was so wonderful. How could this ever end? This is just beautiful. I'll just build a little house. I won't have to dig any. I don't have to do any work. I'm just going to enjoy the sunshine. And out of nowhere, the last thing the person is expecting is a storm. And everything he lived in and everything he built and everything that was part of who he was, was destroyed. But not so the man who built his house on rock. He too was enjoying the relative sunshine and good weather. But he understood that a shaking was coming. That God shakes. And so he began to build his life, his house, everything that was his, was founded into, he dug deep into the rock of God's promises, God's word, and God's kingdom. And when that storm came, the very same storm that came to the man who built on sand, oh, it was a terrible storm. It was a perfect storm. It was a fiery trial. But the man stood. Because God's word cannot be shaken. God's promises cannot be shaken, and those that stand on the rock that is higher than us can also not be shaken. God is a refuge. God is a strong tower, a shield and buckler to all that believe in Him. And so God is saying, I was praying for you this morning. I prayed for you this morning. I prayed that God would shake you. That God would shake you. Send a shaking on your lives. And shake you until all the things of the earth, all the things of the world would be shaken from your life. So that only that which is of God, only the gold and silver, not the dross, not the dross, not the wood, but the gold and silver remain. God was to shake you, and he is shaking some of you, and he is sending a shaking. Colin himself has told us repeatedly about the perfect storm, about the fiery trial. But when the fiery trial comes, I want to be like the three men in the book of Daniel. I'm in the fire, and the fire's not touching me, and in the fire is one like the Son of Man. That's where I want to be with this. I want to be holding the hand of Jesus in the fire so we can be in the midst of the fire that the fire won't touch us. When the perfect storm comes, where do you want to be? Which boat do you want to be in? I don't want to be in the boat, actually. I want to be in the water with Jesus saying, come and be with me. That's where I want to be. I want to be in the middle of the storm holding on to grace, hanging on to grace that is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Jesus is not shaken. Jesus is not frightened. Jesus is not worried. Jesus is not under pressure. Jesus is Lord. Jesus has power. Jesus answers prayer. Jesus is praying for you today.
three years on the earth ministering, 2,000 years before the throne of glory and grace, with his blood as fresh today as when it was slain 2,000 years on Calvary, as powerful before the Father today as it was on that day when it was shed on the cross, praying for you, Father, see the blood and uphold your people that believe <laughs> by faith. Wouldn't Jesus say to Peter, Peter, Satan has sought to sift you. Sift you, sieve you, shake you. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And Peter went through a great shaking, didn't he? I mean, in places where he didn't even know himself or how he was acting. But in the back of his mind, he remembered those words. Jesus said, he prayed for me and I would go through to the other side of the storm. That the fire, although its heat be great, would not burn me. And Christ's faithful praying for Peter got him through to the other side. Finally, as we come to verse 28, it says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. Now, in your versions, you may have different, um, uh, you may say, let us be thankful. Or my version says, let us have grace. But let us have grace is a good translation, but it's not good enough. I checked out the Greek here, and the Greek word is grace, and the Greek word to have grace is stronger than that. The Greek word to have grace is to hold on to grace, to cling to grace. It's like if you were in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the waves, and someone tossed you a... Uh, uh, one of those rings, you know, lifesaver rings. How, how hard would you hold on to that? You would hold on to it with all your might. And the Bible says that when shaking comes, that we're to hold on, to cling to the grace of God. What is the grace of God? It's clinging to His mercy. It's clinging to His forgiveness. It's, it's clinging to undeserved favor that Gabriel's going to be speaking about later on. Undeserved grace. Just clinging. Don't cling to the mountain of Sinai. You'll just get a good boot kicking. You will get what you deserve at Mount Sinai. No wonder even Moses was frightened. Cling to the heavenly city. Like the woman with the issue of blood, press on in through every circumstance and grab the hem of God's mercy, God's grace and hang on to it. And you'll find that when you hang on to grace, it's not just that you're hanging on, that grace will strengthen you. Don't fall short. Verse 15, don't fall short of the grace of God. That means don't give up on His grace. But run to His grace. He loves you. He's merciful. He's given you promises. He's given you the power of the kingdom. So that you can be like those in Hebrews chapter 11. That were undisturbed by the storms that came to them. You know, don't wait for the shaking. Shake yourself. Don't wait for the shaking. Shake yourself. Lay aside, Hebrews says, lay aside every besetting sin, everything that holds you down. Lay it aside, get it off, shake yourself, 
Shake yourself free from carnal, earthly thinking. Shake yourself free from religious attitudes. Shake yourself free from earthly investment. And shake your faith free. And grasp hold of the promises of God. And run after God. And invest your time and energies into the kingdom of God. For he or she that seeks first the kingdom of God. Not second. First, the kingdom of God. All these things that the Eurozone and Greece and Turkey and Ireland and Britain are running after will come into your life anyway. Hallelujah. How would you like to live fear-free? How would you like to live fear-free? Where you have no fear. Oh, glory to God. Because God is not dead. God is alive. Christ is not rotting in some tomb in Palestine. He is in glory right now as I preach to you. Christ is alive. He's living. He's acting. He's pouring out his spirit. He's looking on the earth to see if he can find a simple believer with childlike faith who will trust him and walk with him and say, not my will but yours be done. Who will take the pain to receive the gain. Who will be ready and, and the, de oh, the devil can't shake somebody that's founded on Christ. Listen to me. Wean yourself off the world. Wean yourself. Pull yourself out before it's too late. Get yourself off leaning on the arm of the flesh. Stop trusting in the things that this world trusts. And let there be a divine transfer of trust and energies from everything the world runs after. And put it into Jesus and I guarantee he will not fail you. You will not be shaken. Though the earth be shaken around you. You will stand. Oh, hallelujah. This is a prophetic word for you. Shift off. Shift off those shifting sands. Stand on the rock. Begin believing. Begin praying. Begin getting Pentecostal all over again. Oh, come on. This is a pioneering church. Let's not live of the benefit of former generations. Let's know the living God for ourselves. Let's know the living God for ourselves. Let's act and speak and work as if Christ is who he said he is and can do what he said he'd do. And said, ask anything in my name and it shall be done for you. Oh, let's, let's deal with fear in our lives. Let's deal with the low, super, low spirituality that we accept and let's break those barriers into a different realm. Let's be pilgrims on this earth. Don't love the earth. Love heaven and the blessings of heaven. Father, let your will be done. Let your will be done. And let your kingdom come on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. And deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Shaking, shaking, shaking. Shake 
off the sand and dirt of this world. Get yourself, have yourself a revival, a renewal, a refreshment. Don't do external acts of righteousness, but let your heart ablaze. Run after God. And I tell you, when the shaking comes, you'll stand and you'll say, this is amazing. It's me and God and, 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 and nothing can be shaken because the kingdom of God is in me. In Jesus' name, let's pray together. Maybe you're in this place today on the internet or in the coronet. And you've not even given your life to the Lord yet. You're still at the bottom as far as God's concerned, and that's what matters. As far as God's concerned, you're still at the bottom of Mount Sinai. You're still under judgment. You're still under law. You're still in rebellion. You're still an enemy of God. Why don't you make the transfer through faith in Christ crucified? and Come, as, come and join us on the mountain of faith. Come and join us where the angels are on your side. Come and join us where the blessing and the inheritance is. Come and join us where Christ's sacrifice avails for all. Come and join us. Leave the mountain of hell, condemnation. And come and join us in the place of acceptance, assurance. And come and hold on to grace. Is any person in this place or in the sound of my voice, you're ready now to believe in the spiritual and that it's more powerful than the physical, all you have to do is believe in your heart, confess, confess with your mouth that Jesus is raised from the dead because there's no point serving a dead Jesus. That Jesus is the living and that he's raised from the dead. And you're ready to be part of his kingdom and his lordship. Then I can guarantee you, you can walk out of this place with your sins forgiven right now I can guarantee you that your home is no longer on that dark, dim, gloomy mountain, but it's in the place of peace. And if you're ready for that, wherever you are, with every head bowed in prayer, I want you to lift your hand to the Father, and I'm going to pray for you right now for your forgiveness to, of sins. Lift your hand now by faith. Yeah, lift your hand up. I'm not praying for anybody that doesn't put their hand up because if you don't put your hand up, you don't believe. Jesus Christ was lifted up, not in some back room, but naked before humanity, lifted up publicly to save you. If you believe, you've got enough courage to stick that hand in the air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Over there in the coronet, down in the lower hall. And even if you're watching by yourself on the internet, you stick your hand up where you are. Father, we pray for those that are making the transition from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Thank you that we're welcoming them home to the Zion, the heavenly city, where abides the living God. Thank you that you are transferring them from dead works to a living faith. May they now not walk by the powers of this world, but may they learn to trust you, walk with you, and may they now build their life on the rock who is Jesus, who never fails. So as that shaking falls, the storm comes and the fire burns, God's people will stand stronger in faith in the living God than ever. In Jesus' name, amen.